Welcome to Teach, Talk, Listen, Learn, a podcast featuring conversations all about teaching and learning from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. I'm Bob Dignan, and in every episode, I'll be joined by colleagues, faculty, and instructors from across our campus to talk teaching. Today we have... I'm Eric Shoemaker. I'm uh, an instructional media production manager at CITL. I'm Wade Fagan-Olmsteiner. I am a teaching associate professor in the Department of Computer Science here at the University of Illinois. And I am Carly Flanagan. I am a teaching assistant professor in the Department of Statistics here at the University of Illinois. Carly and Wade have buckets of passion for teaching. They have numerous teaching awards, and students just adore them. (laughs) And they're just the right type of nerdy. I mean, they drop multiple Taylor Swift references in their teaching, and then they even snuck in some on this recording without me noticing. It's a bit of a longer episode, but their project narrative and all the positive teaching insights they've gathered via data science discovery are just well, well worth the time to listen. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you for coming in, friends of the show, I think I can say. Well, thanks for inviting us. Yeah, yeah. we're super excited to be we here. We have been listening to your podcast and couldn't wait to be part of it. <laughs> we, yeah. were, we really wanted to nerd out about data science. Okay, great. Yeah. And actually, Bob is my boss, so, oh, so even better. So <laughs> he's stapled to the chair. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, But um, you all worked with Eric on the project mm-hmm. that we want to cover and talk about, you know, education writ large, data science discovery. Um, so people can go to it right now. They can stop listening and just go and surf it because it's open to the world. But for those that are in their car and you don't want to have, you know, crashing into things, could you describe what even this is, data science discovery? How to come about? What is it? So you can access it by going to discovery.cs.illinois.edu. And Carly, do you want to give your overview of it? Yeah. Should we tell the backstory of how it came to be? Yes. Yeah. Uh, people love the Thousands team. of okay. years ago. Perfect. So thousands of years ago in 2018. <laughs> it feels like it. Yes. Pre-pandemic. Um, the statistics department actually sent me to a conference at Berkeley to learn how they teach introductory data science to the masses. Mm. So Berkeley has a course called Data 8, which is a large introductory data science course that a lot of students take at Berkeley, regardless of their major, even if they're not doing data science. Oh, okay. And so I went to this conference. And they kind of gave us all the tips and tricks on how to teach a large data science course because there are a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of like Wade and I teach it together as two faculty members from two different departments. Mm. And then we wanted to make the course at Illinois be open and accessible to anyone who came to Illinois, regardless of if they had any background in statistics or computer science. And also regardless of if they registered for the class. Yes, exactly. But that's the OG. Right now we're in 2018. Uh Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. So yeah, yeah we're, 2020 is when Eric arrives. Okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> so we, so after going to this conference, I came back to Illinois, met with a couple of deans, met with the statistics department, and they were like, we want this to happen yesterday. Uh-huh. And so they said, we need a data science course immediately. And one of the things that I really took away from Berkeley was that they said that having two domain experts, so a statistician and a computer scientist, is really key for an intro course. Because Mm. data science, um, regardless of it being super popular, it is relatively new. And there's not a clear definition of exactly what data science is. And so we kind of see it in our course as the combination of statistics my domain, computer science. My domain. Wade. And then the communication part of it. So mm-hmm. making sure that students know how to talk about the data science that they're doing. And talk well, through it. 
Yes. Mm. But more on that later. So I said. You guys prepared for this? What is going on? (laughs) So I said, I need a computer scientist. And they said, do you know anyone? And I was like, I know the best one. Uh And it was Wade. And I was super lucky that my department head, my dean, were all super enthusiastic about having me join Carly with data science. Okay. Okay, great. So it was so now fall what year 20, are we in? It was fall 2018. <laughs> fall 2018. Okay, okay. We were both now in a meeting together and they were telling us both we need this course yesterday. Mm. And it was very clear that they felt like we were falling behind and we needed to be on the data science bandwagon. Mm. And um Carly and I were like what if we just got 20 different students from 20 different majors Ooh. and made sure that we could build a really accessible course and run it right away. So spring 2019, we piloted the first version of data science discovery or STAT 107 Mm. with 20 students from 20 different majors because we wanted to make sure that anyone could take this course. We didn't want it just to be a bunch of CS people that already knew how to code. So we were really deliberate about selecting those 20 different students. Oh wow! And that that semester, that was actually one of my most memorable semesters teaching because it was the first time I taught a class that small. I think my next Mm. smallest class had 150 students. So to really be able to work with these 20 students and like we knew all their names, we we had all these inside jokes with them and they really were valuable at giving us feedback on how we can make the course really good to essentially scale the next semester to hundreds of students. Is that like a potential model that other courses could get started under? I mean, it sounds like it was invaluable to start at that at that 20 student level. I completely agree. I think it was a great idea, especially Mm. because of the relationship we had with them that we were able to say like, okay, how did this go? And they would give us honest, honest feedback. Like this was terrible. You need to do something else next semester. Or this was really good. I felt like it made a lot of sense and was a good experience. Like the rapport that you were able to build was so strong that they could walk across that bridge really confidently and give you all the feedback. Wow. And I really liked, too, having the perspectives of all the different majors, because then we could really see, like, we were trying to make it so that the students, regardless of their major, saw the value of data science. And so it inspired us to be like, oh, we have a journalism major in the class. Maybe we should do an example related to that. Okay. Now what year are we in? (laughs) Fall 2019. Fall 2019, you're going to up the ante. You're going to take it to the next level. Yep. Which was always the plan, but now you're there and you've got some preliminary findings. So the course was a big hit. We had lots of interest in the course. So they were like, let's go big. And we got Lincoln Hall Theater, got almost 200 students, and we almost filled up the theater with students every single day learning data science. So we went from about 20 to 200 which it was almost, quite a bit of growth. <laughs> it almost maps to like touring acts when they're able to get up to that next level of venue. Like, yeah. you know, I'm filling out a 500 seat theater. I'm filling out a 200, 2000 seat theater. Lincoln Hall theaters are venue. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> right. And as we grew with more students, we kind of started adding more elements to the course. So in spring 2019, the first semester we offered it, the course basically had a lecture that met each week. And then the students were in a lab section, which was kind of like a discussion section where they could work on longer programming problems together. And that was where Wade and I actually were in the lab sections that semester. And I feel like we learned a lot about how first time programmers learn how to code and learn how to do data science. And so we did that again in the fall. We had the labs, but we also started adding more 
things for the students to practice mm. outside of class. We started doing a data set of the week where we really thought it was valuable for students to work with real data, especially data that they're interested in. So this is where Wade was the expert of getting us a ton of data that was Illinois themed and data sets that students were excited about. Mm. One thing that has really carried through to our modern discovery is that there's these classic data sets that every data science course uses. And they're incredibly boring. They're know? the worst. There's one right. about flowers and statistics. Uh, and it has like the sepal length and the petal length. It's called the iris data set. Yes. Anyone who's done everybody's using it. And yeah. Any textbook that you'd be buying in this subject are all, they're just doing that. Exactly. Okay. Yes. There's also a used car data set yeah, uh, the of the prices cars. of used cars from literally, I think, the 1990s. I was going to say the pandemic blew that out of the water. Right. It's not relevant anymore. <laughs> I mean, the data wasn't even relevant in 2018. <laughs> alone 2022 okay um so it was something that we wanted it to that every time a student saw a data set they were excited to nerd out with the data set mm. so one mm. of the things that i'm well known for on campus is having taken the gpa data for every single course and visualizing that data in a way that students can nerd out with it oh okay and is there a place we someone were, can visit right now to see that? If you can Google search UAC GPA visualization, you'll okay. find it there. All right. Um, but that visualization had an underlying data set of all of the different courses and the number of A's, B's, C's, D's, and F's given. Right. And while the students appreciate the visualization, when they get the raw data and have the skills to actually analyze the raw data, hmm. they are just so engaged with it. It's such a blast to get to work with them on the GPA data set. And then there's a ton of other public data sets that we just enable them to get access to and clean them up, make sure it's really easy, low barrier to entry to get to these data sets. And they will just spend hours without an assignment, without anything to get done for us, mm. just nerding out with data. Hmm. Yes. You, you, it's like you unlocked something in them. Yeah. And with the data sets, the one thing that I think is super valuable for the course is that a lot of times, like Wade said, they'll spend hours, even if they don't have an assignment, working on analyzing the data. And we try and integrate in our labs parts where they can they can ask their own questions and then use what they know to answer them. Mm. So one of the big things that we try and promote in the class is that we want them to act as real data scientists. So we want them, even though it's an introductory level course, we want them to be doing the things that real data scientists in industry do. Like engage in that inquiry model of yeah. hypothesis and testing and yes. Yeah. Wow. And we, we definitely do that with um, the tools that we use. So the course uses Python um, and Git and GitHub, which is something that a lot of intro courses don't use because it is complicated to do computer setup at the beginning of the semester. Mm. But one thing that Wade has definitely always said as a computer scientist that I've kind of taken on as something that I really believe now is that if they're using those real world tools in class, that's just going to prepare them even more for when they graduate from Illinois or go on right. to more advanced Well, that's classes. what everyone else is using. So rather than a, you know, a siloed, homegrown, this will only work in STAT 107. And when you leave here, yes. you know, you're done. Uh, yeah, that's not achieving your goals. Right. And we have them do it on their own machines. Because one of the things mm -hmm. that frustrate me the most is when I'm doing like a course online or something, and I'm programming in some web interface. Right. And once I'm not in the course, I don't have that tool anymore. Yeah, right, right, right. But we... Having, 
Or sorry, go ahead. Having just tried to do some Python in installations on my machine, I can super appreciate your point of there's a high barrier to feeling like you can get past the setup. Mm -hmm. right? But then once you are past the setup, you feel like you've got this great big engine that yeah. you can rev. And so, yeah, you got to stick with it. And you guys are shepherding the students through that yep. initial setup phase. Yeah, by week two, they've got their entire development environment set up on their own laptops. Wow. Cool. Yes. So. But then the pandemic hit. Yes. And we then, so I'd worked with Eric on some other projects. Um, back in 2017, I launched a MOOC for computer science and did 2018, 2017, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but there were like, super successful MOOCs for Coursera with like, you know, tens of thousands of viewers, or I guess learners is the Coursera term for it. Yeah, you, you, you hit a popular kind of, you know, you got some popularity on there. Yeah, I, I did. I think we, so Eric had this idea of kind of just owning the niche. Mm. And we found the niche that really fit that no one else was doing. And we just made the best content for that niche. Mm. So if you want an accelerated introduction to data structures in C++, Illinois is the only offering in that space. Mm. I mean, I didn't know that was a niche, but <laughs> <laughs> you were willing to turn up the, the excitement level. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And you had been in our studio for STAT 200. And... Yeah, for STAT 200 and STAT 100. Yeah. That's actually how we started offering the online version of our course was mm. using the videos that we created in the studio with Eric. And we still sometimes use them to this day. Hey, too. Great. Oh, that's awesome. Years later. <laughs> so during the pandemic, we the university kind of shifted some resources around. We had a semester off of discovery. Mm. And we use that time to think about when we return to discovery, what can we add to the course mm. that can take it to the next level? And for us, we thought that we saw all, for us, we saw all of this excitement around the course. Students loved it. And we went to Eric and was like, hey, we have this crazy idea that we could record videos in our office that aren't just typical Zoom videos that are really the quality of videos you might see on a really popular YouTube channel and integrate that as one form of multi multimodal learning. Hmm. So it's not just videos, but we have text of the same thing. We have practice problems, we have projects hmm. and really put that all together and do it in a way that it's not just Illinois students who have access to it, but it's an open educational resource that really establishes Illinois as a national leader in undergraduate data science education. And yeah. this was this was kind of inspired because we, when helping our students learn data science, we would ask them, like, if they got stuck on a problem, what would they do? And a lot of times they would say, oh, I would try and Google it. Right. And the results that came up on Google they were bad. They weren't good. <laughs> so we were like, can we create something? Can we create a resource that would come up on Google for people trying to learn data science created by Illinois that would actually help them? And then we shot the entire class, I think in like six days. Six all, days. All it was together. insane. Yeah. yeah. So um, just booked a room uh, here at our space at the Center for Innovation and Teaching and Learning. Shot the entire class uh, in six days. Edited everything. So even if you're not an Illinois student, you can go online and you can just find this entire class with Wade and Carly. Well, online. selfishly, if I can promote some of this model, <laughs> it's typically not the way instructors engage with delivering their instruction. If it's an online course and it's asynchronous, they're going to deliver it in the way that they know how to. 
three days a week for a semester. And with uh, productions and movies, that's not how things are done. And it's not that we're movie makers here, but a concentrated effort means yeah. the whole team that's working on this can be focused at yeah. that time yeah. to make it better and better and better versus a diffuse, you know, it's spread out over many, many months and mm -hmm. nobody, everybody's remembering what it is we're doing as we're trying to do it, um, which is a different style of teaching. Like it's a very, it's almost like, um, you know, the students booked you for a week long, you know, uh, retreat, data science retreat, and that's what you delivered on camera. Yeah, and that's what um, was challenging about shooting it, because normally when we shoot um, a class uh, at CITL, it is like, well, you're coming in every Thursday, almost like you're coming in to teach a class, right. and then you just record that, and you might be recording with us all semester, um, but doing it all uh, in just a really focused short time period, like gave us way more options for how we could edit it for, you yeah. know, um, the ideas that went into it, you you all were bringing props and trying yep. to integrate things. It wasn't your point about we're not just going to do Zoom lectures with PowerPoint. Like, yeah, and I, and I think whenever you're like schedule something, you say, okay, hey, we're going to get a, a video crew in. You got to be here. Everybody just yeah, it just gets amped up for it. It's like all oh, hands on deck. Let's do it. Right. And it's um, it just I don't know. It's more fun to shoot a class that way, and I think the product is better that way. Yeah. Hopefully you all agree. But. Yeah. From, uh, my perspective is like I had, uh, because I'd worked with this kind of weekly schedule where you yeah. sort of just had a, someone you met with once a week. But for this, like, I feel like we had a call time. We had yeah. like mm -hmm. a production sheet of what we needed to shoot that day. Mm -hmm. Like we knew we had 10 hours that day and we needed to get through that because we only had 60 hours of studio time. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you look at it from that way, like we had these massive spreadsheets that had all sorts of different colors yeah. and mm -hmm. people who were responsible for different things that it felt like a production, not like running a course. Yeah. And we were also kind of in the zone because we would start in the morning and then we would go through the lessons in the order that we would be teaching them to students. So that was really nice. And we also had two different styles of videos. So the first style was kind of more of an office hour style where it would just be Wade and I talking to each other about a concept. Um, these were a little more informal. And then we did have more formal lectures where we were going through examples, taking mm. notes, showing demos and stuff like that. Mm. So we're talking about the videos. Decision is made to put them on YouTube which mm -hmm. isn't always the case for a lot of instructional content. Yeah. Seems... They're also cross-listed on an internal server that we have. Sure, right. Yeah. Uh, but you're getting traffic from the YouTube search algorithms and you're getting traffic from the Google web page algorithms that aren't just video-based, but you're getting web traffic on there. So can we get ourselves to the standpoint of we're building it and then you release it into the world? What, what is it like? What's the feedback? What's the responses? How is it working? You had hopes that students would you know, it would be a resource that they would use. Yeah. Where, where are we at on that? Well, I mean, we were, so we were in the studio in June, mm -hmm. in the studio in July, and then we were running the course in August. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Fast turnaround. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, back to what we like. I mean, it yep. was concentrated. Mm -hmm. And now you don't have to record again, mm -hmm. hopefully. Yeah. And we were, in terms of um, like search engine optimization and stuff, we were tracking how many page views and how many mm. people were looking at our stuff. We were looking at where it ranked on Google, like where it was coming up in the search results for different topics. And Wade, you have all the data on yeah. that. Oh, so. is it written down on your hand? Uh, or I, I could, so I mean, we've done this a few times. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so like there's these great tools that Google provides to give you insights on how your content's doing. Uh -huh. So one of them is Google Search Console, and that gives you insights on where your where your pages appear in search queries that people are asking. Okay. So, for example, if you search data science discovery, we are number one. 
Nice. If you search, <laughs> we're <yes>. number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you search simulation in Python, we're on the front page. Ooh. Nice. So there's well certain done. search queries we're doing really well in. Um, we are seeing our data science discovery. In the beginning, it was appearing maybe 10 times a day. Now it's appearing over 1,000 times a day on search results on Google. Mm. And it's a line that's only up and to the right. So we're mm. seeing that it hasn't slowed down. And we're now thinking about more forms of content we can use to capture more audience. So one thing that we introduced last year was this idea of data science guides. So one thing that we find is a lot of people are not searching to learn about a particular academic area of the course. So they don't mm -hmm. want to learn about correlation, but they want to find how do you find a correlation coefficient in Python? Hmm. Okay. So in answering that question, we can teach them a little about correlation and also give them the code to actually find the correlation coefficient in Python. Hmm. So these guides are really code focused first. So here's the answer you're looking for if you just want to copy and paste some code and find the correlation coefficient. Mm -hmm. But if you scroll down, Here's a video and a lesson on what correlation actually is, so you can understand the code that you just copied and pasted, mm, mm. which is the context that a lot of search results that we found when we were first thinking about doing this in 2019 didn't have. Mm. They would say, oh, here's this code that does something. Right. And students would just copy and paste it blindly, and they're not even sure what it does except for it ran. Mm. And by providing context around it, we are now enabling somebody to both have the get the code working and then have the ability to sit down and learn with Illinois on what the data science they actually just wrote is doing. Okay, so you're kind of blowing my mind because it <laughs> seems like that's a very different style of teaching, if I could even put it under a big blanket term like that. I mean, like, we could go into how do you come up with these crazy ideas, but uh, what would you say to, uh, I'm maybe putting myself in the shoes of someone who feels like they're always behind the, the curve in terms of having the time to do anything other than maybe more traditional instructional models. I mean, it seems like you figured out ways to almost like hack the matrix and iteratively add on top of this stack and have it create like a virtuous cycle of now you have the time to imagine this extra feature to your instruction. But it just seems so foreign to like what a lot of instruction is. And so I'm just wondering like, how do you contend with that? I mean, how does the system contend with it maybe, but that's where my head is at. It's with the instructor that's hearing this and going, I have no idea how I would get anywhere close to what is being described. And I think a lot of it's really just multimodal learning mm. that we do have the traditional lectures. Like you can go through 43 different modules with us and learn on a curated journey. Oh wait, I guess that's a really good point because you register students every semester, or like fall and spring? Yes. And, and they can attend lecture. Yes. And I think as the as the class grew, so it's fast forwarding now to fall 2022, mm. we have 600 students in Lincoln Hall Theater learning data science. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, Wednesday, Friday with a lab section. With a lab section. The lab okay. sections are capped at 30 students because we really wanted that personal connection in the labs where they can work with each other and get to know their TAs. So that fits the 100-year mold of how instruction is done at the university. Yes. Okay. And I think this semester in particular, because we've had so many students, there's so many different learning styles within our class. Like some of our students love coming to lecture and that's where they get the most knowledge. 
Some of them prefer the office hour style videos and they're like, I kind of know about this. I just want to get the main points. Some of them like coming to class and then also watching the videos to get like to kind of pay attention in class and then, yeah, reinforce that same learning outside of class. Some of them like doing some of them like doing projects, some of them like doing practice problems. And so we provide that for them. And I think that's what makes a large course successful is having a bunch of different ways to learn that support all the different learning styles mm. in a large class because not everyone's going to be the same. Mm. Multiple modes of engagement, I've heard yes. it phrased. Diversifying instruction. Hey, hey, ooh, synergize that. Yes. <laughs> well, and if you look at the data science discovery website, it's all put together and organized really well. You know, it's mm. not all, you know, there's not hidden stacks of content and, and a learning management system somewhere. It's like really, really easy to find all this stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you land on the page, you're going to see data science lessons, which is 43 curated modules if you want to learn in a very linear progression, mm. which we find about probably half our students. They want mm -hmm. to know where do I begin, where do I end, and what do I do each week to get to that ending point. Mm. But then there's another subset of students who really get excited about a problem, and they want to learn vertically about that problem. So they want to know, okay, I need this skill, this skill, this skill, this skill, this skill. And once I have these five skills, I'm able to do this project, even if those skills come from various different weeks throughout the semester. Mm. So the guides help introduce that by teaching a little bit of programming and then showing what theoretical knowledge you need to put with it. Mm. And something we just started this semester is the second thing you'll see on the Discovery webpage, which is micro projects. Okay. So right. these are small Python self-contained projects that let you do real data science in under an hour. Ooh, okay. Yes, and they're sometimes related to our course content, but they're sometimes not. They're sometimes just things that we think would be interesting that data science scientists do that mm. our students can do in under an hour. Mm. And so like one micro project that we released within the past month was looking at Johns Hopkins University's COVID data. Mm. So JHU puts out every single day the number of cases in every state and every country in the world. Wow. And they publish that for free for anyone on their GitHub. That's and cool. And they publish it in this really nice accessible, accessible CSV format. Mm. So in about three lines of Python, a student can take that CSV file, bring it into Python, and then start nerding out with that. So one of our mm. micro projects has them look at how what are the current COVID rates in whatever location they're in. Yeah, so, so where do you go from here now that we're in 2022? Fast forward at least one one calendar year, twenty twenty three or beyond. Where are we? The moon, Mars. Yeah, we're discovering things. Yeah, we're. Discovering. I liked that you said earlier. You almost like um, you built this thing, and then you started discovering things about it. Yeah, it almost started taking on a life of its own. Yeah, and the next big thing at Illinois is data science, and it starts with discovery. Oh, I like that. It's been our catchphrase. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, you got to discover it. Students are walking through the quad looking for something new. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We create a course they've never seen before. So in practicality, you. you're just going to keep it keep it growing, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. So yeah, our, our future plans are definitely to continue working on discovery, which is our main course, continue to expanding it, continue to making a resource that people all around the world can use. But also here on campus, we have a lot of plans to move data science forward and give students at Illinois more opportunities to do data science. Hmm. Um, Where else are we going? Where else are we going? High schoolers, so, prisons. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a million opportunities for doing data science. I think everyone sees data science being the future. One thing that I will often say is 30 years ago, 
you had everyone beginning to take a course in Excel mm-hmm. or Word. You had like office skills courses. Right. And now any job just expects you to know how to use Microsoft Word or Microsoft Excel or the equivalent right. online. And it's no longer considered even something that you need to teach somebody. You're just expected to pick it up. And I think in 20 years, everyone's going to know basic programming. Hmm. That everyone's going to be able to take a data set and do some basic Python on that data set or whatever the programming language might be. Sure. And we are setting up Illinois so that students are already prepared for that universe. Hmm. So that we're already there. That every student who graduates Hmm. from Illinois already knows how to program because we think that's the future in 20 years. And they know how to survive in the age of information and data. And that if they have a question in their job that they need to answer using programming or just a question in their lives that it would help them, that Mm. we want them to come out of Illinois with the skills to be able to do that. So one thing that kind of going a slightly different angle, if you want, Uh um, to thinking about the future is um, because we've got so many different things going on, one of the great things is having two different faculty members both focus on discovery Mm. means that we're both able to apply our specific expertise to what we enjoy working on the most. So I'm nerding out with data. I'm always looking at the analytics and seeing what are bringing people to discovery. So every single semester, we've basically doubled the growth. So we had like 100,000 the first semester, 200,000 next semester, 400,000 this semester. So we've got these kind of growth metrics that are just compounding. And the micro projects is really kind of the next area of growth that we're bringing to the course. Hmm. And I'm super excited about some ideas that we have to build out discovery further, to keep going on the micro projects, to have an in-browser experience with Python using some of the new um, WebAssembly stuff that's just coming online in the browsers. Mm. So using the cutting edge technology to give students a cutting edge education. Mm. Carly is like super excited about working with other faculty members and getting into the high schools and sharing with nice. high school teachers. So we're able to kind of split up and see what we're most passionate about and utilize all of like the have the high school teachers utilize the discovery website and then as the discovery website gets better they have better tools and they've got carly there to be with them as they're exploring these technologies yeah and kind of going off of what wade said about the two different two different faculty members on the course one piece of feedback that we've gotten from our students that they really like about having two professors because it is kind of strange i don't know of any other course that has two professors that are teaching at the same time so it's not we try and not just do like okay carly's going to do this day wade's going to do that day we try and integrate like the statistics and the programming and almost kind of like our office hour style videos will like talk to each other during class and one thing the students say they really like is that sometimes when we're doing a problem wade will approach it one way from more of an engineer computer science background and i'll approach it a completely different way from the statistics las background and so we try and show students multiple ways to solve problems because oftentimes in programming and data science there's not there's there's hundreds of ways to solve a problem and one isn't right one one isn't right one isn't wrong. It just depends on which makes the most sense to the students and gets the right answer. Yeah. um, There's so many layers to that because I think it's a testament to what co-teaching could be. Mm -hmm. But also something you just said is uh, when you're preparing them to be in that real world, it's not just they will have options for how to solve a problem. It's that they'll be on teams with competing philosophies Mm -hmm. of how to solve a problem. And you're modeling for them how to work it out amongst your team members and say, at the end of the day, we're still a team, even if I defer to you and go with your plan. And I had a good plan too. And it's something that, you know, we were excited about when we were recording is because 
a lot of times uh, in a asynchronous recording process, you're going from, I teach in front of faces and eyeballs, and even if they're glazed over, I understand the rhythm of the class. I go into a studio and now that's lights and maybe a teleprompter, and I've got none of that like familiar feedback. But in a co-teaching model, you're bouncing off each other. So it's actually something from a media standpoint that we would like to see way more of is, you know, a TA or a representative student or some panel or something to keep the instruction going as opposed to it could just be a textbook read to you by an avatar, <laughs> right? It's like, yes. like there's something to be said. You mentioned, uh, you know, edutainment on YouTube. Like there's a reason why the certain channels that get millions and millions of views are kind of the personalities are the way they are. They're not Zoom lectures. I mean, yeah. it's it's a different mindset to communicate through that medium. So I know we were excited about you you both willing to like be on camera and riff off each other mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, because I've recorded like dozens of classes uh, since I've been at uh, U of I. And something I hear from most faculty is when they're in the studio, like I need somebody to talk to, <laughs> you know? Right. And this basically just completely solves that problem. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I, th I think that this dual teaching method, um, well, first of all, it just works really well for Wade and Carly um, because they teach so well together, but it translates um, to video so well because there's just so much more energy in the videos right. than just looking at the camera and talking into the, the void, I guess. Right, right. Okay, so we were gonna address what should listening faculty instructors take away from everything that you've undergone since 2018 up until the future what what is it that you're you're thinking people can walk away from um, to to try to implement or what do you call them key action steps? What do you guys <laughs> action, action items? items. <laughs> action items. What are the action items? What do we do from all this? Yes. So should we talk about the garden walls? Oh, okay. We love tearing down garden yeah. walls. Yeah. All right. Let's <laughs> put on our hard hats. <laughs> so this was the theme of the faculty retreat back in March of 2022. Yes. 21. 21. What? Or was it 22? Was it 22? Oh, wait, last no, year? It was March of 22. Just last March was 22, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, it feels like a whole nother year. I yeah, know. I know. I didn't what want to time? say last time, time is meaningless now yeah. because, after COVID. Yes. But anyways, that was the theme of the retreat, and you all presented on it, um, breaking down the garden walls. What's the analogy there, briefly, for people that don't know? So, <laughs> <laughs> so the analogy there is that Illinois is like a beautiful garden. Mm. So we have all of these different departments, all these different faculty members, all these different classes. But in order to access them, if someone outside of Illinois tried to access our beautiful garden, they would be met with, they, they couldn't because they'd have to log into Canvas or whatever other system they use. And so the idea that we had when creating the Discovery website was that we were going to tear down the garden walls. There's these brick walls all around the garden. And we're going to tear them down and make it so that anyone if they're at Illinois, if they're outside of Illinois, can access this high quality Illinois education easily without having to log in and anywhere in the world. Wow. For free. For yeah. free. Yes. Yeah. It's it's the ultimate audit model of your doors are literally open in the lecture hall and anybody across the world can stroll in and and stick with it even. They could go, oh, interesting, and then leave, or they could go, I'm gonna attend all of this. I'm Tell gonna do the more. deep dive. Yeah. Yeah, and I think originally when we proposed this idea, a lot of faculty members that we talked to were scared of putting their material out there. They were like, oh, well, it's not good enough, or what if there's a typo, or what if it's not pretty enough? That, I don't like, have a graphic publishing designer. Publishing mindset starts yeah. to set in? Yes. Oh, okay. And I think... Or what if someone just steals it? 
Oh, like sure. I mean, we all have a, a lot of people being like, I spend all summer creating this. Mm. I don't want somebody to lift it. Mm. Interesting. And I think there's a lot of fear around just having your stuff out there in a way that can easily be copied and pasted, yeah. can easily be criticized. Yeah. Like it's, I understand there's some fear of just like putting your intellectual work. Yeah. And often what faculty are known for is their intellectual work. Your entire basically like livelihood just on the internet. Yeah, yeah. The, the only problem with uh, being stuck in that spot is it, it still is really easy to copy and replicate and steal. So it's either do you hand it out willingly and and there's a good arrangement of it and you've form, formed it in a way that no one needs to mess with it because it's already preformed the way they need it or it's being ripped out of your hands. I mean, I just see it as inevitable, so. Yeah. <laughs> we do too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of stuff. Like any faculty member who's been around long enough, they'll find their stuff used by somebody else yeah. without attribution. Right, those websites that host whole course content. And yeah, stuff Chegg. Like that. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. So, okay, so where were you going with that on key action? So key actions, I action. would say, just put yourself out there. Put something out there at least. Even if it's not your whole course, like start small. Like maybe you have a really cool lesson that you teach that you use a really engaging example. Like put it out in the world. Mm. What else do we want to say? What it was an actionable item? I mean, we did have a grant to fund the video. So like we got paid for doing yeah. all of this. So it was easy for us to spend the time. Well, but it started in 2018. Yeah. So I mean, I think it really started in like 2015, 16. Like, I okay. mean, I think that the, like here at the University of Illinois, we have the Center for Innovation, Teaching and Learning. And- You don't say, what? Yeah. yeah. Um, and which are like, what, 70 experts on education. Mm. So I don't think I would have worked with Carly and we would have come up with the idea of having this video produced course if we both didn't completely trust Eric mm. to do just a phenomenal job with producing videos. Mm. Because I mean, when, we, when you spend 60 hours in a studio, like there are things that will make you look like an idiot if he clipped it wrong. Me swearing all the time. We cut out a lot of Carly's. Yeah. <laughs> There's a blooper reel somewhere, maybe. Ed uh, has it's it. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, ed, our editor Ed Glazer has it, yeah. <laughs> and is and is going to use it. Uh, He's going to uh, use it against me yeah, in the court right. of law. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, so that sort of speaks to this notion of trusting a team, perhaps, mm -hmm. as, a, as a takeaway from this. If you're listening, you, you only achieve some of what you're, you're talking about, the co-teaching, as well as uh, accepting other people inputting to the course, if you trust some of your course to a bigger team and are willing to lead that team, but say, I can't do all of it myself. And we could soar to higher heights than if I just did it myself. Well, and also doing lower effort things before doing the big thing to mm. both have the team gain trust in you. Yes. I right. think that Eric hopefully knows that when Carly and I commit to doing something, we're going to show up ready to go yeah. with a game plan and not waste Eric's time. Mm. Yeah, and I think and I think that comes from uh since both of you have made online classes before, have done videos before, you know, I think if somebody's listening to this and looks at data science discovery and goes, "Oh, that's that's a huge project." Mm -hmm. I I don't know if I could do that. It's like, well, maybe you can do a small sliver of it. Yeah. You know, that that module or right. that or that one concept or the one thing, the, the one question you get asked all the time in class. Well, maybe that can be 
the video that's your your entry point into right. this kind of right. way of thinking. Yeah, that was one thing I did before, probably around 2015, was that I had um, this probability question in my Stat 100 class that students were just constantly asking about, and so I just made a video. It's probably terrible quality because it wasn't produced in CITL, but I just made a video of myself explaining that concept and doing a bunch of different examples and just put it on YouTube and nice. gave it to the students, and now it. Yeah, it has a couple thousand views. Right, right. Yeah, don't don't. I would take away maybe uh, this step is wasn't your first step. Right. It, we had been thinking about this for a while. Yeah. Another thing that kind of motivated it too that I don't know if we want to get into this was that we didn't want our students in discovery to have to spend like hundreds of dollars on textbooks and learning management systems. Like they're already paying tuition here at Illinois. We want to make the cost of discovery essentially free. You know, it it feels very much like you've produced a textbook when you talk about like not one so you've undergone the processes that it would take to produce a high level multimedia interactive textbook mm -hmm. yeah. and there are just i think a lot of forces that keep people from thinking that is achievable via the routes that some of the routes or m many more routes that you guys took i just don't know how you encourage people that are maybe stuck at that thinking that's that's unobtainable Oh, I thought you were going to say, what about people that make a profit off of textbooks? Well, there's that. <laughs> I, there, there's, I think that's the strongest argument yeah. that I hear from other faculty. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yes. But if they just think it's difficult to do, like. Well, they're, they're saying it's, you know, my time is worth money. And, mm. and they're, you know. So I think of this as often like, what do I want five years from now to be remembered? Mm. And I know that when I've done courses that were one-off courses that were a walled garden, that those courses are really hard to transfer to someone else because they're all locked in an LMS system. And if they use a different LMS system, then they're not gonna wanna move everything over. So how do I make this the most accessible to not just students, but to future faculty and to anyone who wants to see what did Wade work on five years ago? Mm. And I think having something that just works is really high quality and it's just super easy to use means that I think it's going to be around in five years. Mm. And I think from my perspective, spending time on things that will be around in five years is way more valuable than spending the same amount of time on building a walled garden. Yeah. Yeah. That the I see you describing as like the opportunity in the digital age to keep a classroom energy going is so much more available that opportunity to do that it just takes a few steps you describe some of them put something out there experience what that feels like if that's hanging you up maybe partner with someone another faculty member another instructor to you know go off their energies and let you subdivide and specialize mm -hmm. and then this notion of like a team maybe there's a team that needs to come together to help you on it how do you involve that team and get a little more open about getting feedback on your course and doing things the way you might not have thought of about doing it on your own. So what, what do you, like working with us, Yeah. how, so you mentioned how it's really easy to kind of have energy off another person. Like yeah. Carly and I sort of like we, Carly takes the energy up and then I take the energy up and then Carly yeah. takes the energy up. And one thing I learned from you was being in front of the camera, you can use as much energy as you want yeah. and it doesn't look cheesy. If you do it right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I'm super cheesy. I no. Well, no, I think especially um, when you're nerding out. <laughs> no, well, I, I think um, 
I think if you look at this class, um, it has a ton of personality. And I think that often gets lost in online classes where people are trying to be professional because they're self-conscious about the content and what they end up being is like, like an avatar, like a, like a, as a board. yeah, like a course delivery robot. Hmm. And I think if you um, look at this course online, it feels like a Wade and Carly course. Hmm. Um, and so I think that's, what's really cool about it. Hmm. So it's like, it, it's not the, um, you're just being authentic. You're, you're like authentically genuine man, <laughs> on this on these videos. It's it's you're trying to re again a garden wall. You're trying to reduce the barrier of the students mm -hmm. that you may never meet feel like they know you because you are yourselves on these lessons. Yeah, we love this stuff. Like I mean, yeah. I think Carly has told me when I met Carly, like she has always dreamed of teaching statistics at the introductory college level. Mm -hmm. There you go. My life goal. Ever hey. since she was like four years old. Yeah. She was, Playing with her statistics set, you know. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned four because I wrote my first program when I was four years really? old. Really? Hey, okay, yeah. there we go. Oh. I did not do my first statistical calculation when I was four That's years okay. old. I no think judgment. you were finding averages of two numbers. Oh, right. yes, right. definitely. Wef, <laughs> uh. I think we should end with microproject. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of, I'm sussing out like what's the data set. Yeah. Wait, end the episode about a microproject? And then say we, we have a microproject yeah, for you. Yeah, so if you want to nerd out with data science, Carly and Wade has prepared a small Python project for you to nerd out with some of the data they Excellent. work with every day. Yes. Right. If you don't have that ready now, we can you can always record that in the tag. You know. Well, sure, but uh, I love Wade's committing himself to this is going to be oh, done tomorrow. Yeah, oh. WAF can whip these out in an hour. <laughs> yeah. Do you need no. it tomorrow? Do you need it tonight? No, yeah. no, no, no. But I think that's great. So do you need you're it by saying, six p.m. No, you're saying <laughs> people love that association <laughs> first. <laughs> you're saying people um, listening could experience a little bit of this. If yes. you're still skeptical on on anything that we've talked about so far, try try your hand in it. Go to insert this thing here in the description. How about yes. that? Yes. And yeah. if you're if you're interested in nerding out with us, if you want to see what Discovery is like, we've talked a lot of um, what Discovery is like. We've talked a lot about it, but we want you to actually experience it for yourself. And we're not saying go and take our whole course, but we have a micro project for you. Nice. Okay. It's there waiting. So to get started with this micro project and nerd out with data with us, go to discovery.cs.illinois.edu slash TTLL. That will redirect you directly to the micro project we prepared based on this podcast. Excellent. Welcome to this micro project. It's been waiting for you. <laughs> and thanks for listening. Wayne and Carly mentioned a micro project that you can get started in right now on their website. It's linked in the description. And we've also linked some additional resources down there for you to dig into what Wade and Carly discussed. Um, if you have a teaching story that you'd like to share or want to connect about this topic or others, please use our email, ttll at illinois.edu, and we may feature some of those notes on a future episode. This podcast was produced by the Center for Innovation and Teaching and Learning at the University of Illinois. Episodes can be found on our website, citl.illinois.edu, and on major podcast platforms. We hope you'll find us there and join the conversation. Mm -hmm.